This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon offered at Trinity Commons Online Worship for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost, August 9th, 2020. The principal text for the sermon is Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 28. It is the story of Joseph and his conflict with his brothers and him being sold into slavery. I grew up with Dolly Parton. We listened to country music in our household, so my main experience of Dolly was in the 1980s alongside Kenny Rogers. I loved the movie Working 9 to 5, which featured Dolly alongside Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. Also, growing up in Mobile, I traversed the, quote, Dolly Parton Bridge on I-65, so named for the appearance of the support arches from a particular perspective. This year, a podcast was released called Dolly Parton's America, and it takes its name from a class that's actually taught at the University of Tennessee. The course looks at the complicated history of Appalachia and how that is intertwined with the life and career of Dolly Parton. Her career spans decades as a singer, songwriter, actress in both TV and movies, author, executive producer, and an amusement park owner. She has been praised for her philanthropy and her music and has been criticized for her looks and plastic surgery and dismissed as a dumb blonde because of her hair and rural upbringing. One of Dolly's most well-known and most well-loved songs is called Coat of Many Colors. It tells the story of Dolly's mother making her a coat out of scrap cloth or rags while telling Dolly the story of Joseph and the coat that his father gave to him. It is a sweet song that focuses on the love between parent and child, and it perhaps reflects the way a lot of us remember hearing the story of Joseph as children. Now, Dolly doesn't just leave us with just the saccharine part about loving her mother. She quickly lets the song take a sour turn. When she shows up proudly wearing her coat of many colors to school, the kids don't look at it as something beautiful. They don't see it as a symbol of parental love, but instead they see it as a mark of Dolly's poverty and otherness. Dolly redeems the story in the final verse of the song by pointing out that even though she was poor financially, she was rich in love. Joseph's story that we hear today can't be as neatly or clearly resolved as a country music song. As a child, I was the youngest in my family. I was a daddy's girl, so I naturally identified with Joseph. But as I read this story today, I am not so quick to take Joseph's side. All this summer, we have been reading the stories of the founding of Israel, God's people. The patriarchs and matriarchs of God's people left and returned the promised land. Each generation experienced the uncertainty of whether children would be born, whether they would possess the land that God had promised, 
And each time God has proven faithful to the promise that God made. The story of Joseph is the bridge from these stories of God's people in the land that was promised to the land of Egypt. And it is through the story of Joseph that God's people would end up in Egypt and be enslaved. Joseph is the child of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. He is his father's favorite, probably because he is the child of his father's favorite wife, and also because he's a bit of a snitch. It's after his tattling on his brothers that Joseph is given the ornate robe that is the mark of his favorite status and unearned privilege in the family. When his brothers saw that he was the favorite, the text says very clearly that they hated him. Now, Joseph didn't do much to temper his brother's anger. Eight verses are omitted from the story, and what is left out is the recalling of Joseph telling his brother about two dreams that he has had, where he sees himself placed above his brothers and his brothers bowing down to him. So when Joseph goes looking for his brothers, wearing the fancy robe, his brothers make a decision to secure their status in the family by killing him. For a moment, there is hope that cooler heads will prevail when Reuben disagrees with the plan, but instead of putting a stop to everything, he devises an alternative plan to throw Joseph in a pit in the hopes that Reuben can later return and then take him home. Unfortunately, Reuben's scheme doesn't go as intended because the brothers decide to sell Joseph to passing traders. That way they get rid of Joseph and his dreams of superiority and make a quick buck at the same time. Upon discovering this, Reuben goes along with the cover-up plan, even though it causes great pain to their father Jacob. There isn't really anyone to root for in this story. Jacob favors Joseph and re rewards his snitching on his brothers. Joseph lords this favoritism over his brothers, or is at least tone deaf to the effects that his recalling of these dreams has on them. His brothers hate Joseph because he is the favor, some favorite, something that he cannot control, and Reuben, who is the oldest brother, doesn't have enough courage to put a stop to all of it or to just tell the truth about what has happened. It's not such a sweet children's story. And I no longer identify with Joseph. I can identify with the jealousy of the brothers, the anger of watching someone getting something unearned and undeserved. And as, as uncomfortable as it makes me, I really identify with Reuben, the guy that is stuck in the middle trying to make the best out of the situation. In reading this story for today, I was struck by the fact that God is missing from this whole portion of Joseph's life. And the whole thing is certainly a mess. Maybe what we learn from this story is that when we are so focused on our position, wrapped up in the fear of losing that position, we make a mess of things. We make decisions based on fear to the point of taking violent steps to hold on to what we think is ours. In our country, 
our leaders on both sides have done a great job of making us afraid of each other. Afraid that those people over there are going to take what is ours. I think most of us or many of us in the current age might identify with Reuben, trying to make the best out of a bad situation, but being not quite brave enough to risk everything to just say no to what is going on around us. In the class taught at the University of Tennessee, students write a paper answering the question, what is Dolly Parton's America? Many point to the fact that at a Dolly concert, you find this whole mix of people, rich, poor, rural, urban, young, old, men, women, gay, straight, Trump voters standing alongside drag queens listening to Dolly Parton perform. They have to balance that image with the fact that Dolly Parton has made a lot of money off of perpetuating the hillbilly stereotype and the myth of the Old South. At the same time, she has done transformative outreach work with literacy in the South, giving away tens of millions of books to children. She embraces the LGBTQ community. She raised money after the fire in the Smoky Mountains in 2016 and gave a million dollars to Vanderbilt for COVID research. Dolly Parton is a complicated figure and cannot even be simplified as easy as the stories as she tells in her songs. Our country is complicated. Our faith is complicated. We have probably, if we are honest with ourselves, at different points in our lives have been Jacob showing favoritism, Joseph lording it over people around us, Reuben trying to make the best out of a difficult situation, or brothers so blinded by jealousy willing to do the unthinkable. We're gonna have to wait until next week to hear the rest of this family drama of Joseph and his brothers. We still have a long time to go to wrestle with the legacy of public figures like Dolly Parton. And we have a while to go before our country finds its way through our current upheaval. But we can take comfort in this discomforting story of Joseph and of God's people that God will continue to be faithful and does save us. Amen.